Good morning. Good morning, Bethany. Oh, one more time. Good morning. It's good. There you go. It's good to be with you guys. So to kick us off, this quote from theologian and pastor A.W. Tozer, he writes, what comes into our minds when we think about God is the most important thing about us. Whether you agree or disagree with that quote, I want you to take 10, 15 seconds. Uh, um, the, whoever you're sitting next to, uh, if you're at home watching, maybe with your family, um, if you don't want to talk to one, just think about it. But what comes to your mind when you think of God? Share with your neighbor. It doesn't matter how crazy or ridiculous it is. Go. <laughs> you say that right after you tell everyone it says the most important thing about them. <laughs> it doesn't matter if you're crazy. I mean, if it's crazy. <clears throat> All right. Martin, what comes to your mind? <laughs> yeah, the same thing. Uh, it, it does. I do have to say it does change depending on what's going on in life. But uh, right now, this morning, the image that keeps popping into my head is that old uh, Gary Larson comic. I don't know if you saw it, but there's a, ever saw it. But there's a picture of God sitting at a desk and there's a computer in front of him. And there's a man walking on the street on the computer screen. You see a piano hanging above him. And there's a giant key on the keyboard that God's about to push that says smite. And um, that's sometimes the image I have of God. You're such a loving shepherd. Yeah. <laughs> um, uh, mine has always been, for whatever reason, it is Ariel's dad from The Little Mermaid. Mm. And it's just like the buff merman, <laughs> like just with the long beard and his triton scepter. <clears throat> and uh, on a flight this week, I watched Aquaman, which just reinforced that image. I'm like, why is God in this movie? I don't know why, but... I ask you that question because how we view God really views how we interact with him and really how we interact with the world around us. We're both up here this week. If you weren't here last week, we, um, we're doing a little mini-series called Questions and Reflections where we're wrestling through questions that y'all have submitted over the course of the last couple of months. And, and we're calling it Questions and Reflections because you guys are asking the questions these are questions that humans have been wrestling with since, since we've existed. And we're going to just give our thought, our input, looking at Scripture. And, and by no means are we going to cover every single nuance or every single rabbit trail. If anything, you might leave with more questions. And that's a good thing to, to wrestle through the text with, a, with one another around the table at, at lunch after, after the voters meeting or at, at dinner later this evening or in the car on the way to soccer practice this week to be, to wrestle with one another. What does it mean to follow Jesus? And what are these big questions in life? And this first, this quote, um, really was getting at the heart of, of a theme we saw bubble up among a lot of the questions was, um, and you might resonate with this of, as I read the Old Testament, God seems to be one way. Typically, the response is kind of angry and mean. He's just got one big smite button, right? <laughs> and as I read the New Testament, Jesus seems to be just kind of a cool, hippie, love, love having fun, just, for, just forgiving sins all over the place. And the question comes up is, this two different gods in the Bible, can you reconcile the Old Testament God with the New Testament God? Now, forewarning, today as we dive into this, it's a little bit intellectual, it's a little bit heady, but that's okay because we're called to love the Lord our God with all of our mind. And, and, and for the sake of those so you don't get lost in the weeds because there will be weeds here, here's our goal. I'm going to tell you right here, here's the goal. 
to help us see that God has revealed the same. He's a, he's consistent across the Old and New Testament. And that God is the same yesterday, today, and tomorrow. That's where we're going. But it's going to be fun to kind of wrestle with this on more of this academic level. And for some of you that ask this question, it might just be like, I've never really like understood this and you just need a couple little things. And for some other people, this could be a really stumbling block of a question. So whoever asked this question, whenever this question is asked, first we have to think through who is even asking it. But before we can even get there, Dan is going to kind of get really up in the clouds. Which is, it's good. It's good to help us understand how we even are supposed to read the Bible. Yeah. So um, when you approach scripture, one of the reasons why sometimes it's hard to track the narrative story from Old to New Testament is, is because we just don't have access to it in the same way as the original writers. Um, and so like when you approach scripture, a lot of times we approach it and we read it like it's the same throughout. Um, but it's not actually. There's actually a lot of different genres within the Bible itself. And as you encounter these genres, you do have to read them differently and interpret them differently, therefore. Um, so for example, like in English, I don't read uh, the newspaper the same way that I would read like Huckleberry Finn, right? It's you know one is true, or it's supposed to report facts, and the other one is a narrative, a story. Um, if you read poetry in English, you're not going to read some of the simile and metaphor as literal, because you, you know it's a poem. And so you interpret the text differently. Well, when you're in the Old Testament, and also in the New Testament, actually, there are, there are po- there's poetry, there's prose, um, there's hyperbole, which is like exaggerated phrases to make a point. Like, you know, in football, sometimes here they'll say, um, UT got utterly destroyed. They say that all the time here, right? Um, I know, whatever, sorry. I don't watch sports, so I'm just making it up. Um, and so, but we'll say stuff like that. And do we really mean like, you know, like they're smeared across the field? Um, not, not really. We're just making an expression. And so sometimes there's expressive language in the Old Testament that isn't meant to actually be literal language. It points to some bigger truth. Also, there's a lot of things in the Old Testament that are um, descriptive and not prescriptive. And what I mean by that is... Um, it's just describing an event. It's just what happened, but it's not actually meant to prescribe for us how to behave, be, act, interpret, move through life. It's just you're reading what happened, um, but it's not a, a way to make choices about how to live in this world. And, um, and then the, the last thing is just kind of, and this is what's hard, I call it a conceptual signifier. This is just a nerdy sort of thing, way to say that in your brain you have concepts. And so the Old Testament writers experiencing God had concepts in their head about how to convey their experience of God to other people. So when they sit down to write it, they're trying to convey something to you, but they assume you're just like them. And so they're not going to answer every question because they're going to assume you already know some things that you may not actually know. And so they're not writing it to communicate everything that you might ask. They're writing it because they understand a certain context, and then they write it on paper. And then guess what? We come in, and we have our own stuff in our head. And so we sit down, and we read Scripture, and we read it through our cultural lens, our experiences. And sometimes then it makes it hard to really understand what the Old Testament writers are trying to convey and what point they're trying to make. And so the whole reason I share all this is to say this is the reason why sometimes when we look at Scripture, even though we're talking about the same God, we kind of look at it in our first glance, it feels like we're dealing with two very different 
vibes, energies, um, but that's not necessarily true. Make it clear. He does. We do believe the scriptures are inspired. Just I know oh, someone's sure. question. We're going to yeah, get a question yeah. about that. Yes. Not that they are making this up. The spirits conveying yeah. what to be recorded, but we're approaching it from a different angle than the first original writers. Our interpretive, our interpretation um, isn't always totally accurate. Yeah. yeah. Uh, that with that with this big question of the Old Testament, New Testament, God, are they the same? Are they different? Because we have these cognitive signifiers, like certain things, even our culture, like if we think of Old Testament God, like most likely something like this is popping into your mind. Whether you believe it or not, this is kind of the story that we're told. And then you look at Jesus and you typically see something like this, right? Like the but this is literally called the buddy Christ, and it makes me cringe, right? Uh, I actually, actually, here, here's a good point. Like, sorry, I just have to say this because I thought about this in the other two services. This is a good example of conceptual signifier. If you know what movies these are from, these two images have deeper meaning yeah. uh, than even what's on the surface. If you don't know what these are from, then you're getting his interpretation. Um, and so, yeah, yes, yeah, getting yeah, deep. yeah, yeah, sorry. Boom. Boom, yep. boom, tell me what's going on in my brain. Yep. But, but either way, but with this comes some assumptions. When we look at the Old Testament, it's hard for us not to assume, because we have to be honest, if you just open the Old Testament and like land anywhere in like 1st or 2nd Samuel, you're going to see like smite the Almighty. Like it's going to be, look at it from a distance, but we're not understanding what's going on in the context. So we assume the Old Testament God is just angry and mean all the time. And on the flip side, we look at Jesus, and, and he talks a lot about love and forgiveness, and, and it's hard to imagine Jesus not speaking of those things, where it's hard for us to imagine that Jesus actually is a God, uh, is the fullness of God, but he also brings judgment, because Jesus talks about judgment. He talks about hell often. So we have to be honest about what we're bringing to the text before we can even see what the text is leading into. What do you got? Sorry, my turn. Yes. Um, I was just daydreaming about the two movies. Um, <laughs> uh, yeah, so God shows up um, in different ways, um, but God shows up like Jesus. And so I just want to highlight some of the texts that really sort of describe this so you understand um, how, how it feels a little bit different. Um, but in Exodus chapter 34, it says, The Lord passed before him and proclaimed, The Lord, the Lord, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness, keeping steadfast love for the thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgressions and sin, but who will by no means clear the guilty, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children and the children's children to the third and the fourth generation. Uh, when you look at this particular text, you, you see some description of, of God the Father as being merciful and gracious and loving, and yet still being kind of like a father in that, that if you don't like acknowledge him or sort of understand where he's trying to lead you, it's not like he doesn't see that you're guilty. But the, the main thing is, is he's, he's still, his steadfast love is forever, and that's what the text says. And you see this picked up again in Nehemiah, who's a prophet. And he says, they refuse to obey, this is God's people, and were not mindful of the wonders that you performed among them, but they stiffened their necks and appointed a leader to return their slavery in Egypt. But you are a God ready to forgive, gracious and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love, and did not forsake them. That is, 
the people were so stubborn that they weren't willing to go with God, and yet, the prophet says, he still is forgiving and gracious and slow to anger. All these things that don't sound like that smiting God. It's, it's a God of grace, mercy, peace, forgiveness, never-ending love. And when you start to see some of these texts in the Old Testament, it actually sounds like God the Father is a lot like Jesus. Yeah. yeah. And that, that Exodus passage is actually how Yahweh describes himself the most throughout the Old Testament. But then on the other side, where we, we look at Jesus and we really at times wonder, like, does he reflect this justice and judgment that we see in Yahweh? Because we looked at last week how judgment is actually a good thing. That Christ, when he returns, will judge all the evil in this world. Mm-hmm. The atrocities we've seen in this world will come under judgment. In Revelation, John uh, paints this picture of Jesus. Then I saw heaven open, and behold... A white horse, the one sitting on it, call, is called faithful and true, and in righteousness he judges and makes war. His eyes are like a flame of fire, and on his head are many diadems, and he has a name written that no one knows but himself. He is clothed in a robe dipped in blood, and the name by which he is called is the word of God. And the armies of heaven arrayed in fine linen, white and pure, were following him on white horses, for his mouth comes a sharp sword with which to strike down the nations, and with a rod rule them with a rod of iron. He will tread the winepress of the fury of the wrath of God, the Almighty. On his robe and on his thigh he has a name written, King of kings, Lord of lords. <laughs> Jesus has tattoos. That's yeah, you should have yeah. wore short sleeves. Yeah. So you could show how you're just like Jesus. Just like Jesus. Or your short shorts so they could see your... No, I'm <laughs> no, kidding. It's down here. It's oh, down here. sorry. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah. it's... Um, <laughs> Jesus is actually the fulfillment of all the Old Testament stuff that that we see uh, in Matthew 5. Jesus says he came to fulfill the law and the prophets. And here all the law and the prophets is pointing to Jesus who will usher in the new creation, which will come about by judgment. Jesus himself says this, for the father judges no one, but has given all judgment to the son. That all may honor the Son just as they honor the Father. Whoever does not honor the Son does not honor the Father who sent him. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life. He does not come into judgment, but has passed from death to life. Read the Gospels. In our Bible study class, we are, we're going through the Sermon on the Mount, and Jesus talks about judgment. He talks about the fire of hell a lot. He talks about obedience and saying to pick up your cross. It's not just all butterflies and unicorns and you do, you do, you do, you boo. But it's really, no, come and follow me. Jesus is reflecting the same God we see in the Old Testament. In the Old Testament, God is, is pointing to the coming Messiah. When I first became a Christian, I had someone come to me and say, do you know Jesus never said he was God? And I'm like, uh-oh. <laughs> uh, I haven't read the whole book yet. I'm not sure how this goes. And uh, I went to my pastor and said, what do I do with this? And he's like, you're right. If you go read the New Testament, you don't see anywhere like the words Jesus says, I am God. But what Jesus does throughout the, Old, the New Testament by, by fulfilling and quoting the Old Testament, he's linking himself to Yahweh. He says um, in John uh, 10 that him and the Father are one. And then in John 8, 
He's going toe-to-toe with the Pharisees, and he ties himself to this story in Exodus 3 where God appears before uh, Moses, and, and Moses is like, oh, who do, you, who do I tell the people you are? And, and God gives himself a name, and it is, I am. And then in John 8, Jesus, as he's going toe-to-toe with the religious leaders, they're questioning him about his authority. They're looking for a way to basically crucify him. And Jesus says to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, before Abraham was, say this with me, I am. So they picked up stones to throw at him, and, but Jesus hid himself and went out of the temple. Jesus here is linking himself to Yahweh, that followers of Jesus, we look to the Old Testament to reveal the fullness of Yahweh. And, and as, new, as believers on this side of the cross, we look at the Old Testament, seeing Yahweh projecting himself onto Jesus, that it is the same God across the Testaments, but how he reveals himself to us is different today. 100% is. Just like we uh, reveal ourselves differently in each sermon, boo. <laughs> boo. <laughs> the eleven's fine. Yeah. We, we can just go. He said, you do you, boo. I was like, what? Yeah, all right. Yeah. Uh, God does uh, show up in different ways, and, and therefore we do experience him differently. And, and one of the things that we know is that God desires to be with his people, but how he is with us does change our relationship with him. And so like in the New Testament, um, you read in John, it says the word became flesh and dwelt among us and we have seen his glory, the glory of the only son from the father, full of grace and truth. And so we know that God comes to us through his son. And so Jesus reveals to us the character of the father. Um, he, he is incarnational and that's just a fancy word meaning he, he comes to walk with us as a man and, and so we experience him as a man. And, and so sometimes I think that's why we have that buddy Jesus kind of in our mindset, because we can relate with that more. The Old Testament God, but also wanted to be incarnate with us, dwell with us. It's just, it was different. Um, and uh, he says in Exodus, and let them make me a sanctuary that I may dwell in their midst. Exactly as I show you concerning the pattern of the tabernacle and all of its furniture, so you shall make it. Now Moses used to take the tent and pitch it outside the camp far off from the camp and he called it in the tent of meeting and everyone who sought the Lord would go out to the tent of meeting which was outside of the camp. And so God had also dwelt with his people in the Old Testament and he, he tabernacled with them. Um, and so, but, but it was still a little bit distant and separate. You had to go out to the tabernacle where he dwelt. You had to prepare yourself to go into his presence where he dwelt. And so, uh, so there is a little difference in how God's people end up interacting with him. He does feel a little bit more distant in the Old Testament and a little more intimate in the New. But the, the thread that's the same throughout is that God earnestly desires to be with his people and for his people to be with him. And that's consistent. Take a breath. Yeah. A lot of information throwing at us this morning. But the God we see in the Old Testament reveals himself clearly in Jesus. That God has always used means to reveal himself. In the Old Testament, it was through fire and clouds even through water. 
in the New Testament. He reveals himself through Jesus, and Jesus reveals himself to us through the means of grace, through the waters of baptism we just celebrated, through the meal we're about to take. And Paul writes these words in Colossians. He, that being Jesus, is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by him all things were created in heaven and earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things were created through him and for him. Paul's tying Jesus himself back to the creation story. And he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. And he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. Think about it. The fullness of God was pleased to dwell in a little baby. We're about to start Advent in a few weeks where we get ready to celebrate Christmas, the incarnation, like Jesus, God is dwelling with his people. And through him, to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. I don't know where you're at in the spectrum of this question where this is a big intellectual stop for you or if it's just like, oh, that was interesting. Like, okay, cool. Like more of a... a a different kind of relationship with these things. But wherever you're at on that spectrum, as we kind of pointed last week as we talked about the the problem of suffering, is where does Christ, where does God reveal himself most clearly? It's in Christ crucified. That God desired to dwell among his people so much to be in relationship with his creation who has time and time refused, rebelled, ran away from, disobeyed, sinned against, and he became the sin that you and I unleashed into the world and bore it upon himself for you. For you. Christ crucified. Even in that passage from Revelation, the blood on the robe is his own blood that he sheds for you and for me. So our prayer is that you guys, as you go home to wrestle through these, that as you start reading the scriptures and diving into the Old Testament, as your kids start asking hard questions, you're not afraid of them. You're able to dive in and, and, and start looking, how do I see Jesus revealed here? Because if it doesn't look, smell, taste like Jesus... We're missing the point. So let's go to God in prayer. Father, I thank you that you have revealed yourself to us in Jesus. And Holy Spirit, we haven't forgotten about you, that that you point us to Jesus. And Jesus, you, you glorify the Father. Father, Son, and Spirit, this triune God, this mystery that we enter into. Lord, we thank you that you are the same yesterday, today, and you will be tomorrow. And, and in our own like finite, feeble understanding of all that is, we confess where at times we believe we know more than you. We confess where we think we actually know how to actually live our lives apart from you and your ways. So guys, we take a moment just to pause and confess in light of this conversation. We know certain things are true, that you've called us to love you and to love our neighbor as ourselves. 
that Jesus, you echoed that from the words of your Father in the Old Testament, consistent across. So God, we just confess in our hearts and minds where we've not kept that commandment, where we've sinned against you in thought, word, and deed, and where we've sinned against our neighbor in, in, in thought, word, and deed. And Jesus, we thank you that you have been faithful where we are unfaithful, that you have kept the steadfast love of the Father consistent across time and space. So Lord, have mercy on us. I invite you guys to to open your eyes. Hear these words. That Christ has reconciled us to the Father through his life, death, and resurrection. That all of your sins are forgiven. That each week we stand up here and remind you of that because it's not just some esoteric idea up here. But that Christ forgives you and he loves you. So this might be uncomfortable for some of you, but we are incarnational people. Look to the person to the right or left of you and say, your sins are forgiven. Literally, do it. Your sins are forgiven. Thank you. Your (laughs) sins are forgiven. Look to the person on the other side of you and say, your sins are forgiven. So may we be a people that that is what is echoing on our mouths as we are are called to, to reflect this incarnational love. Amen. Amen. As the band comes up, and as we start to prepare for this meal, as we mentioned that... um, I don't need that. (laughs) Just movie references. God always comes to us through means. Whether it was through the prophets, was it through the fire and smoke, the pillars of clouds, or... Or it's through bread and wine that God desperately wants to come to us. That as we come to this table as forgiven, redeemed people, Christ is offering forgiveness to us. Go ahead and like poke your hand. You're a real physical person. And that's why God in his goodness gives us real, physical, tangible means. And even in this meal, when, Jesus, when Christ first instituted, he was tying himself to the Old Testament. He became the Passover lamb that they were celebrating at this meal. So on the night Christ was betrayed, he, he took the bread and, and he broke it and gave it to the disciples saying, take, eat, this is my body broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, after supper, he took the cup. And after giving thanks, he blessed it and gave him, saying, take, take drink, this is my blood of the new covenant shed for you for the forgiveness of all of your sins. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. So as we come this morning, come to the table, you come and receive the very thing which Christ came to do was to bring about reconciliation, forgiveness, grace, and mercy. So come eat and drink and feast on his grace and mercy.